0: Hey, Naughty Monkeys. Hey, I've got a pretty wicked episode this week, and I want to get right into it. So I have five things to talk about before we do. Okay, ready? First, I want to say hello and thank you to Squarespace.com for sponsoring this week's episode. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. So for a free trial and 10% off your first purchase, go to squarespace.com and use our offer code, you know what it is, you know what it is, sex nerd, that's right. Um, Squarespace is awesome, I've been using it and I finally decided on a new design for my website, um, I emailed them some questions recently and they got right back to me and answered my questions really well, so I was like, thank you guys. It's really easy to use. It's a really sexy uh, number of templates. Um, it's really easy to set up an online store as well. That online customer support is, is 24-7. And I'm really excited for the fact that um, your website, my website, um, all our websites on Squarespace.com will look good on all digital platforms. So I can no longer uh, get really mad at my own website when I look at it on my phone because it will look good. Yay! Yay! So yeah, go to squarespace.com, check it out, sign up, use promo code sexnerd. And when you decide that this is obviously the website company for you, you're going to get 10% off your first purchase with the promo code sexnerd. Okay, so big thank you to you guys, uh, Squarespace, and for supporting the Sex Nerd Sounder podcast. That is item number one on the agenda. Done! Look at us go. Okay. Um, Second, if you are in the Los Angeles area on December 6th, that's in a few days from now, I'm going to be doing a live podcast recording at a really fantastic art show. It's in downtown LA. It's called Members Only at the Syrup Loft. You can search for it on Facebook. It's got an event there. Um, Just search for Members Only, the Syrup Loft. It's 10 bucks at the door, and from 7 to 9, there's an artist reception. It's going to be all about celebrating the male body. After the artist, we're going to have comedians going up. Uh, we've got Sam Brown, Josh Fadum, Vicky Pesa, and Nerd Melt's own Celeste Reno. And then around 10.30, I'm going to go up. Sex and Tana, that's right, I'm going to talk about penises and stuff, because uh, it's really fun. Um, oh, there's a photo booth, and, and a nude model, maybe. Ooh. Okay, so yeah, come on and join me. It's going to be a good time this party. Third order of business. (sighs) Okay, here I go. I am absolutely uncomfortable telling you this, but I have to admit, now that it is the month of December, that I did not meet my NaNoWriMo Challenge National Novel Writing Month. The goal was 50,000 words by the end of the month, and I did not meet it. Um... I have excuses, of course. Life will always give you excuses. I was handed some incredibly heavy news about a, a week into the month of November that really, um, really crushed me, um, for a couple weeks. Um, but, you know, it's, it was about a close person in my life, something. Just bad news, right? But it's, it's gonna happen. You know, it's like there's never a good time to break up with someone. and There's never a good time to just suddenly try to decide to write a novel. Um... But it taught me a lot about my relationship with writing, and it's 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 a difficult thing for me. Uh, writing is always difficult, it seems, but um, I have an especially pained relationship with it that goes back to my childhood. Hey, that's what my therapist is for, huh? Huh, you guys? But the fact that so many of you reminded me to write and keep on writing and encouraged me and shamed me like I asked on Twitter and Facebook, uh, both my profile and my page, Um Thank you. That's that's all I want to say is thank you, and I'm sorry. I'm afraid to disappoint you, um, but I, you know, there it is. I didn't do it. Uh, but I tried. Yay! Mm. And then fourth order of business. Uh, this takes us to uh, today's episode, which is all about sex and religion and Jesus in the Bible. Um, it's I've been looking forward to releasing this episode since I recorded it uh, late in September over in Washington D.C. at Woodhull Sexual Freedom Conference. And I listened to this episode just now and I was like, wait, there's something wrong with me. Like, what is wrong with me? Like, I knew I was tired during that month when I was traveling, and, and over the last several weeks, I've released episodes uh, from my tour. But this episode especially, I'm like, there is something wrong with me. And um, recently, like last week, I um, got some results back from uh, the doctor. I went to the doctor to be like, Doc, I haven't seen a doctor in several years, and I'm really tired all the time, and this and that. And you know check my iron levels maybe i'm anemic and check my this maybe like what's wrong with me and he came back he's like he says, i suspected you have ebv i was like what's that because he's like maybe it's this virus basically it's the virus that causes mono or the kissing disease so he discovered that i have um, been fighting um the ebv virus that's redundant because v is for virus And if you don't know, mono, okay, mono is something that I remember people referencing in high school and college as the kissing disease. You get really tired for a couple months, and that was mono. Turns out, according to the CDC, by the age of 40, almost 95% of the population um, will have EBV in their system. It's something that almost everyone gets. And unless you're a teenager or early adult, you don't generally manifest it in mono which is like swollen lymph nodes and and fever and whatnot you just kind of fight it off and for me um apparently probably from summer through this fall i have been fighting a mild mono (laughs) case (laughs) so i was listening to this episode like no there's something seriously wrong with me like i am like totally dippy what is what Uh, yeah i i have mono probably a ba- baby mono adult mono adult onset mono mm, mono light but anyway um i'm feeling much better but i, I thought i needed glasses because i was keeping these headaches nope i had mono that's why i had crazy headaches probably uh, the optometrist thinks i'll be just fine mm. so what am i saying uh i'm not gonna be making out with anyone for a couple more months um but almost everyone gets it and it's some it's it's no big deal um you just take more naps anyway Uh, This episode Uh, And Beverly Dale Reverend Doctor Doctor Reverend Beverly Dale Is a a wonderful person I'm so delighted to have gotten To spend some time with her Just check it Uh, At the end of the episode We say goodbye And then there's a P.S. So just listen in For those who want to know more um, Some resources and and more to look uh, To read up on Bible passages Etc Well now that I've announced That I have the sexy person's version Of the chicken pox Let's talk about Jesus now entering nerdist.com. Welcome to the Sex Nerd Sandra
1: Podcast.
0: <laughs> Whoa, what are these kids doing in here? Hey, if you're under 18, go ask your mom. Now that we're alone, let's start the show. Hollywood. Welcome to Hollywood. Ooh, room 610. Um, Yay. All right. Uh, Hey, sex monkeys. Um, I am here at the Woodhull Sexual Freedom Summit. And I am so excited to have stolen and kidnapped someone from one of the sessions who totally blew me away. Reverend Beverly Dale. Hello. Hello. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. Um, yes, it's a hotel interview. You know how much I like those. Yes, you do. Yes, you, who does that? Yeah, you do. You know. Okay. Um, so I'm stealing this person who is called a reverend, which is in itself, I've, I don't know. I've never
1: hung out with a reverend before. Yes. Well, you can call me the Reverend Dr. Dale, if you wish. Or you can call me Rev Bev. Or just Beverly is fine. Whichever. Okay. Rev
0: Bev. Rev Bev. Re- Bev. Beverly. Beverly Dr. Reverend Reverend Dr. Dale this is confusing oh thank you for the buffet of options I appreciate that um okay so we're gonna dive into stuff but first where are you out in the world and what are you doing I am in Philadelphia, based there, um, and
1: I am a voice for the entire United States to say we can connect sexuality and spirituality through Christian language and Christian frameworks if we really want to do so. And
0: it's positive. And do you, okay, you're called a reverend. Do you, I don't, okay, I grew up Catholic, okay, I am post-Catholic in my life, I am no i am mildly buddhist sometimes Um, but generally that's that's where i come from and so when you're called a reverend and you do this work does that mean that you actually go to church every sunday and preach or what does that mean and like what what does it mean it it means i
1: am uh, unemployed (laughs) I am a consultant, okay. uh, but church folks tend not to be beating my door down to talk about sexuality. So the people that I find are interested in talking about spirituality and sexuality tend to come from sexual alternative communities who kind of had you know dismissed religion as all being, you know, it's all bad news. And I'm saying, no, you don't have to give up your faith, your Christian faith, uh, and uh, be a sexual explorer. I think exploration is good and curiosity is good and let's know what we're doing. And we might be able to find some kinds of ethical parameters and morality that's going to be helpful in the Christian framework without um, having to hang on to
0: other people's rules about our sex lives. Okay. So as a human being who likes to categorize things, what type of religion are we talking about? Because I want to talk about sex and religion and that intersection. And uh, I attended your session where you talked specifically about how to um, reframe biblical teachings and how some people will take things from the Bible and interpret it and, and create rules and such from those phrases in the Bible and how that might not be um, the only way to interpret them. When you say Christian, does that mean like all Christianity, or there are so many different sections of Christianity and Catholics, I don't even know what to do. So we're going to be talking specifically about Christians today. Okay.
1: I come from a Protestant perspective. Okay. I come from a mainline progressive uh, organization or a church it's the united church of christ and disciples of christ um, but yes there are lots of different flavors of protestantism but um, much of what holds protestantism together right now and and historically has been that we uh, have a spiritual discernment process and a conscience that we follow by ourselves. We do not have a Pope or an external authority telling us about uh, all of our decisions and, and having that authority over us. We find that within ourselves and through our own faith communities. So that's a big difference between Protestantism and, and Catholicism. Um, So that and my theological training was uh, out of Chicago Theological Seminary. That's where I got the doctorate Mm -hmm. um, of ministry. And um, I follow in the vein of feminist theologians um, who really gave me permission to stay inside the church and and critique the patriarchy and all the crap that comes out of uh, people's mouths and saying, oh, well, God said, well, no, you're male God as you framed it by male ministers. Or maybe I shouldn't say male and female. The issue is really the patriarchal piece and i've just now lost you but my theology is grounded in feminist theology and liberation theology which seeks to the issue of is not salvation from the hellfires but it's um liberation of whatever is enslaving us so and that can be all kinds of things well
0: that sounds much more attractive
1: Yes, who doesn't want to be free? Now we have freedom with responsibility, of course, and freedom um, to act in community and for the common good. But yeah, freedom—that's what it's. About. That's, and the church word for
0: that is grace. Freedom. <laughs> um, of course, are anyone listening? Um, I mean, I- it's. I'm not here to tell anyone what to do. And this interview isn't to tell you how to believe anything. This is a perspective that I think is helpful to add to the conversation around religion and sexuality. It's not the only way to look at it. And, of of course, we're talking about a specific section of religion in the world. But there's a lot of wisdom in it that I enjoyed hearing from Rev Bev yesterday. So, oh my god, so many things. So, society uh and religion the idea that religion and sex don't go together those are they're opposing that that like christianity you can't, it's you, you're not allowed virgin mary all that it's it's only for babies making babies not for the babies making the babies don't look at me like that um and uh, as a sex educator who has had a deep history um of lots of friends who are christian um it's a difficult thing to th- like I have friends who are just so mad at religion. this is all they can do is like they spoke about how much they hate Christianity and other religions because they're so mad at the negativity coming out of there around sexuality etc. I would like for it all to just all get together and be happy and, like, can't we just be whole beings and religion and spirituality be part of it? Oh, my God! M- make it better! Yes, yes.
1: Okay, so you're talking about people are angry at religion for being fear-based and shame-based, and yes, we should be very angry about that because that's not who Jesus was. So if Christians are about what the church is about, yeah, the church has gotten a lot of things wrong throughout its long history. But let's go back and talk about Jesus. I mean, he was criticized for having too much fun to many parties with the wrong kinds of people and he was having going to banquets and drinking wine and this sounds like kind of a party guy that sounds good to me so how did he relate to bodies you know, and how did he relate to women as a man in a patriarchal society? I mean, that's the question we need to be looking at. And that's the model for Christians. Unfortunately, n- people aren't really looking at Jesus. Um, but it's plenty, it's in there. It's in there. And his um, gospel message seems to me to be quite liberating for the, um, the illiterate fishermen and the lepers and the women, the prostitutes and whoever. You know, it was a liberating message. It was creating a little bit of a problem for first century Judaism
0: really okay okay there's historical Jesus and there's biblical Jesus I, of my understanding where like like people who like try and trace the history of Jesus like is, is but you're making a face that that's not necessarily accurate Um, it's an interesting idea yes There's. we don't know
1: hardly anything about the historical Jesus we just have the accounts that started out as oral traditions Um, 30 to 60 years 30 years after he died so so the biblical text is all we have unfortunately and then we have the layers of interpretation on top of that and the cultural differences and that was a a pre-modern world frame and we're post-modern world frame now so there's a lot of stuff that we have to sort through uh, linguistically, sociologically and politically to kind of get at the nuggets of what created the stir around this man
0: was Jesus a virgin until he died?
1: I don't think so personally, but I have no idea of knowing. But we do know that if Jesus had been a, a rabbi who was not married, that would have been such an unusual situation that that would have been recorded. It would have been remembered 30, 40 years later, and and it wasn't. So one, I conclude from that, that most likely, yeah, he probably was married because that was expected at that time. I don't, have, I don't have a problem with that. It doesn't make Jesus any less of a man or any more carnal or fleshly if he was or wasn't. You see, it's just the way it was. But people make inferences about that. Well, he can't be married because he was this holy, holy, holy person so divine that he probably didn't even sweat when he worked in the carpenter shop.
0: So. <laughs> That's a really funny thought. Um, no, I had been wondering a couple of weeks ago, just walking down the street, thinking about religion and sex, and which was just on my mind. So funny that you were here and I was here. Um, but like the Virgin Mary and Jesus being these these kind of desexualized humans um, in the Catholic teachings of, of what I grew up in, two people who just did not engage. Uh, i mean of course i'm sure once jesus was out and about in the world mary did what she did with joseph and they had a lovely rest of their lives whatever um good for her um but like for the story um for the holy story it's just this really intense um absence of sexuality and
1: reproduction (laughs) Um, it took the, about 325 AD is when they finally pulled the Christian leaders together to say, okay, we got to figure out who this Jesus was. And the question before them in that council was, was he human or, or, was he divine? And there were factions all over of people saying various things. And so they decided at that that conference or that council that he was fully human and fully divine. And so the next council, which was uh, decades later, they had a count- They had a decision to make. Was he fully human or was he fully divine? And they decided there he was fully human, fully divine. So you have people who want to make Jesus so completely divine that they've lost the humanity of him. And that's because he's a salvation figure and it's all about heaven and hell and that kind of thing. Or you have um, a Jesus who is very, very human and he simply becomes a good teacher. So all of us uh, Christians or Protestants are someplace on that continuum. But if we're going to talk about sex, and I think we should, um, then we have to kind of shift our Jesus down to that human level to say, all right, how did he really act with the fishermen and the women and the prostitutes in order for us to understand how we're supposed to interact with one another? And what did he teach that's going to help us figure out how to manage our sex lives? And so you, ha- you can't have an angelic being who is so totally divine that he cannot relate
0: to our very real intimate questions. Yeah, there seems to be a bit of a void, like a, like a black hole in between those two things, gaping Grand Canyon. Um, uh, so many places to go. I don't know if I want to go. Like, okay. Wait. I want to make sure I want to make sure did they say that he was fully divine because you know, if they got together about 300 years later because you kind of said like he's both but did they end up just being like fine he's both or did they really decide he's fully divine they decided he was fully human and
1: fully divine oh, Okay. and so the question has been from the beginning Who was Jesus was he this or that and the answer is both and then we've been arguing about it ever since okay
0: yeah, you know, even in grade school, it was like, wait a minute, I don't get it, teacher. Because um, I went to Catholic school. Um, uh, okay, so Jesus happens, and there's a Bible, and there's lots of things in the Bible. And some people take the Bible literally. Some people take it as stories that you can take all sorts of life wisdom from. People take the Bible in many different ways. Um, but the way that biblical teachings are being taken to... Um, to mean certain things that affect sexual freedom. You know, we're at Woodhull and we're all talking about sexual freedom this weekend. And, I mean, homosexuality, premarital sex, adultery, um, those sorts of things. You know, the moral teachings of the Bible. And you said some really wonderful things yesterday about what the Bible's actually saying versus what we think it's saying. Um, Can you speak on those a little bit? I'm not sure what you're speaking of, but just... like. Sex
1: before marriage. Go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, there is no single verse at all in the Bible that says um, you can't have sex before marriage. And uh, that's because that in in those b- biblical times, you did not get a marriage license and trot down to the synagogue, and suddenly we say the, the magic words and we're married. Um, marriage occurred in Jewish times when uh, the people had sex. That was it. And so... Um, and young girls particularly, but uh, were married when they were just at puberty. So wait a minute, there was no adolescent period. So the whole idea of premarital sex is very much culture-bound. This is what we talk about. Now, if you're talking about non-marital sex, um, then uh, the, the Bible verses, that get thrown up or any time, uh, and thrown up is a kind of a word for vomit, but okay, is the word fornication. And fornication does not mean premarital sex. Um, it does not mean non-marital sex. It has nothing to do with marriage. It, it means sexual immorality. Any Hebrew scholar will tell you, or a Greek scholar, that fornication means sexual immorality. And you can be sexually immoral in your your closest, most intimate relationships inside your marriage. You can be sexually immoral if you're if you're pushing an agenda, and or if you're giving in when you really don't. Want to? If you're being dishonest or deceitful or using force, I mean, I'm sorry, that's very immoral. And you can be, and but technically, that's okay because you got the piece of paper by the state that says you're legal. Okay, So the issue is much bigger than whether or not to put body part A into body part B with or without a marriage license. It's about what's going on in the relationships, what's going on in the person, and what's happening in our conscience. There's so many things to think about if we're really going to get at condemning sexual immorality, and we should. But let's be clear that while we cannot look on the inside of somebody else's relationship, or their head Um, and so we've got to be very careful about making sure we decide about what's right for us given our relationship
0: or our situation that's a long answer but did you get that oh my god there's so much but I I I got it I don't know if everyone got it but I mean well we're pretty smart cookies up on this podcast listeners and we're really smart (laughs) good hearts too I I just met a bunch of them they're pretty good people I like them um so non-marital meaning sex outside the context of two people in a marriage. Um, just wanted to establish that. Moral. What is a moral? Is that like, um, like, well, how would you define moral?
1: I would define moral as a guideline.
0: A guide. Oh, sorry. I'm like not using my mic. Uh, a moral would be a guideline
1: that one would use to determine an ethical action. Okay.
0: Also, Jew. Okay. I know Jewish people who have weddings. So was wedding ceremony something that just came later in terms of the Jewish tradition? Um, I have no idea of the origin of marriage. I'm sure if you
1: Google that, you could find that. out. Um, I think for us in this culture, what we as Ameri- North Americans need to look at is um, how we've given over um, a sacred um, uh, commitment between our most intimate partners to the state. Uh, we're supposed to have separation of church and state, so why is the state even involved in that kind of a um, covenant that we make with our intimate others? So that's that's the first question I would ask. That's an interesting question. Yeah, it's pretty personal. Pretty personal. Because when I... Um, counsel people who that I'm going to perform the ceremony with, um, I make it clear that they have already made their covenant. I don't ask them if they've already had sex. That's none of my business, but they've already made the commitment by the time they come to the pastor. And I would say they've made the commitment to one another and before their, their God. And so they, in God's eyes, they're already bonded. They're already there with, um, how they want to live their commitments. The the ceremony itself is actually when you proclaim what is private to your communities. Mm -hmm. That's the public celebration. So if we limit, uh, if we say, well, it only counts if there's a piece of legal document, then we're really saying that God God needs the state's approval in order for God to say, yes, this is a legitimate relationship
0: that's a really interesting way to think about that. You're right. I mean, you're right. I mean that's, but that's, I, I, hmm. I mean, as someone who has shied away from the idea of marriage for myself, I tend to be like, no, I don't want to think about it. Like everyone else should be allowed to be get married to whoever they want. But I'm like, I don't want to get married. Okay. Maybe I do. Ah, uh, not today. Uh, so I have my own feelings around marriage. You know, I'm still like 13 in some ways. um, Dismarriage very well in this society anyway.
1: There's, there's so much that we don't talk about in marriage um, beforehand. Yeah. We, we just kind of assume that um, what is the cultural norm of sexual um, uh, accessibility and then exclusivity uh, is and continued sexual bliss will happen for the next 55 years and of course none of that is a given but that is the dream and that is the it's a pipe dream and it's a romantic um piece of crap that the church unfortunately has bought into and so we feed into that rather than looking at the way Jesus lived lives uh, with the people around him and the teachings that are found both uh, in Jesus teachings but also in the apostle Paul and his letters about how to live ethically I think we can take some notice there but we don't we don't tend to do that we just listen to what the rules that somebody else is spouting off um, without giving a thought to whether or not it makes sense for our
0: lives Yeah, there are so many rules around what is allowed when it comes to sex. There are, like, like you had spoken uh, yesterday about pleasure. Like, it feels like pleasure is not allowed. Like, anything that feels good is bad. It's sin, it is the devil trying to tempt me, that sort of thing. And, I mean, I... Haven't been proselytized to in a while, but I've had plenty of it in the past, but I just, I feel like in the eyes of a a Christian, I am definitely like, I feel like I'm doing God's work to a certain extent. Um, but uh, I just feel like, I don't know. I just feel like, come on, pleasure. Why can't that be part of the part of being awesome? It is, it is. That's what Jesus was criticized for. He was having too much fun.
1: He, in John 10, 10, he says, I come to give you life in all of its abundance. You cannot have an abundant life and not have some kind of sensual experiences some, and hopefully some kinds of sexual experiences either by yourself or with other people. So pleasure, the early church fathers were very conflicted about pleasure. Because it's very primal sometimes and and passions get stirred up. And then people might, the fear is, people might forget what the priorities are. So if you look at the the word pleasure in the Bible, uh, I haven't done any research on this. Somebody else can do that. But I think a lot, about half of the times that the word pleasure is used, it's really mistranslated. Mm -hmm. Because if you look at the context, it's against pleasure. The Bible is very much against pleasure. If you look at the context, however, you realize that that should be translated as hedonism, not pleasure. Pleasure is good, but hedonism, and I know I'll define that. Uh, oh, please do. Oh, this is juicy. Yes, this is yes, really good. Okay. So the way I'm using hedonism and the way the Bible talks about it is when you forget the needs of those around you, when it's all about me, 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 and getting mine without regard to the consequences or what's going to happen to the other people or the relationships, I'm sorry, that is a, an, an extravagantly hedonistic life that it needs to be soundly condemned. Okay? Mm-hmm. But but pleasure itself is a way of worshiping the divine, if you will. Um, it is a way of sinking into the sensuality of the creation. And that is, according to the, the creator, all very good. Mm-hmm. Okay. In Genesis. So we can also look at the person of Jesus and say, oh, he, this was a, a sensuous man. All right? He went to parties, he went to the banquets and feasts. He was always telling stories about banquets and feasts. I mean, <laughs> you don't tell those if you haven't been to them, okay? Um, and then he also uh, acknowledged the birds of the air, the lilies of the field. They're so beautiful, much better than King Solomon's glory even. Um, so there's that kind of a sensuality in his teachings. Then we can look at the way he was violating the rules, the religious rules about uh, sensuality he
0: was touching people caressing people if you will that he wasn't supposed to be doing so um in that time culturally you weren't supposed to touch other people
1: men were not supposed to be touching menstruating women okay mm-hmm. and the whole thing around um be- talking to women with suspect uh women of that time could not even um testify in court as witnesses because their word was totally discounted. So you don't waste your time as men talking to women and, or touching them. And here he was talking in public with a woman at the well, um, who had clearly a bad reputation and he was not the least bit put off by that. Um, and his disciples were even rather mortified that what are you doing? Talking to this woman. So he was violating those religious rules that prevented relationships um, he always violated the rules that prevented, um, uh, meeting one's needs. Now you can take that to the sexual, if you want to, but the scriptural reference is when, when his disciples were hungry, the rule was it's on the Sabbath. You cannot harvest the field. And he said, go into the field and harvest. And they did. And they ate. So the rule, he broke a rule, uh, because it, it prevented a physical need. And then he broke rules all the time if it prevented healing or if it prevented relationships. Those are key things. So when we get caught up in the rules about somebody else has set the rules about sex and who I can touch and when and how and how, how much and so forth, then we better look at beyond the rules to the rule breaker and say, under what conditions can we break those rules? And I think Jesus gives us some good models on that.
0: He's like a Robin Hood. Yeah. It kind of feels like that—the yeah, yeah. bad boy, but a good boy. Always
1: identifying with the people,
0: always identifying with the people who are marginalized. Yeah, the poor. <sighs> okay, so this is the heart of the thing that there's the rules you know because i think of sex and pleasing others as as a kind of healing like there is a is actually a joy and a a positive aspect to that um is i love that you're representing hedonism as separate from pleasure that's 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 a big deal for sure so uh your eyes got really excited like you want to talk about something that i yeah uh, say the thing I forgot. Oh, um, I want to talk about uh, spilling your seed and looking after your own needs in that way because you'd mentioned a little bit about that action. Um, God, masturbation, all the things. Uh, I want to know everything, and it's hard because I'm so. I want to know everything, and it's. I know I can't. Have you written a book? Uh, not. I'm working on. I'm finishing it up. Yes, and it will. I hope soon it'll be published but we'll see okay just double checking because there's a lot of juicy stuff that you've got and obviously we can't get to all of it um so in the the idea of um what what you've called the the spirit of the rule versus the rule itself um and you said something about people so focus on the rules they forget why the rules are there yeah. well we also talk about the
1: the feeling that we have problems with the feelings, the sexual feelings. And when I was working at the, at the university, I would have undergraduates come to me and confess that they had lusted and they they were felt like they were huge sinners. And so what I had to do was ask them whether or not they were prepared to uh, rape the person or murder their partner or whatever. And of course they were always appalled because they were good Christian people. And uh, so I had to say, well, congratulations, you know, that's not lust. That is, horniness. And there's a huge difference. Lust is King David and Bathsheba in the scripture where he would plan. He raped her because you don't say no, obviously to the king. Um, There's so much rape in the Bible. Oh, awful. (laughs) Yes. One, one writer calls it the text of terror. There's a lot of stuff in there that's pretty negative and destructive. But, um, but the lust is means you will do anything to get it. So we could say that much of Wall Street is very lustful. You know, there's a lot of greed on going on there. Um, that's not what you're feeling when you see a beautiful body that you would just love to snuggle up to and have sex with. You know, that's a wonderful fantasy. And yet some the pleasure police within Christianity who are all about legal rules um, it would have us believe that feelings are to be condemned. And the reason they get to that piece is that they misinterpret um, the passage where Jesus uh, talks about if you've lusted after uh, a woman, then you've already committed adultery. And and that's very convenient for the anti um, pleasure folks. But they forget that the around that is also the verse that says, and if you if you are angry with someone, you you're committing murder. You are aimed. Well, they don't say that we don't say well i can't be angry because now i've murdered somebody we don't go that far and and neither do they go to the whole context of what that teaching was about that teaching was not about anger that teaching was not about um a lust It was not about murder. It was not about adultery. That teaching was about listen to what's happening on the inside of you because what's happening in your emotions may turn out to be unrighteous action. And that is so spiritual. That is so right. It's absolutely true.
0: We've got to stay in touch with what's happening on the inside. Right. So it's uh, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Uh, It's uh, making sure that all your actions come from a good place. Yes, absolutely. That's what he was teaching. So we
1: don't condemn the, the warm, juicy feelings of sexuality or the pleasure that we get from being sensual creatures and sexual creatures because we are, we instead celebrate them. So to that 18 year old who is convinced that he has lusted and now I always say, congratulations, you know, everything's working right. Your hormones are doing exactly what they're supposed to do. So celebrate that you are created, um, in the image of God, I might mention. So we can even say that, well, maybe God is a very sexy
0: kind of a creature as well, <laughs> if we want to say creature in that. Yeah. Right. Can we get into like deep specifics about this? Can I? Okay. All right. The uh, the meaning of adultery in the Bible versus how we think of adultery now, because we're using the, often people will say adultery, the Bible doesn't like adultery, you don't do it. Um, but how, can you speak on that? Yeah. Yep, sure. Okay,
1: most people want to um, condemn adultery on the basis of the Ten Commandments. Now, I personally believe we should condemn adultery, but I'm going to have to define what adultery is. Um, But we cannot use the the Ten Commandments because that uh, commandment was in a system where the wife was considered property. So you're not to covet a man's uh, cows, nor his farm, nor his wife, um, because it is someone else's property. So, um, if you're going to get hung up about adultery, then just throw that piece out, because that's irrelevant to our discussion today. In this culture, women or wives are not property. I am no one's property. All right. Good for you. Good for you. <laughs> Unless I'm role-playing. Okay. But and but you belong to the divine. Okay?
0: So, I'm going to qualify that. Um, where was I going with this? Well, how, how do we define adultery now? If, if, if we're not... Uh, you know, what's the problem then? Okay, so the way adultery is currently
1: practiced, abundantly practiced in this culture. Uh, yes, is very much a sin because um, not because of body part A and body part B of some other person that maybe society doesn't recognize, but because it usually always involves deceit and disloyalty and a violation of a promise or a covenant you have made and there's no communication going on with your significant other about what your needs and desires are. That kind of hypocrisy and dishonesty must be an Deceit must be soundly condemned. However, that's not all all right, and that's not about um, those people who love more than one uh, partner or even live with um, more than one partner. N- because what the the rule, if you will, that operates in mm-hmm. there is really what's
0: happening inside the hearts. I'm so into this. <laughs> Barely. i'm so into this okay oh it's almost like um magic tricks do another one do another one do another one um okay this one was so juicy the onanism one right like do not masturbate masturbation is spilling your seed don't you dare jerk off don't you dare touch a clip oh don't don't do, don't do not do not do do not do the things don't touch it don't do, that's for god or whatever whatever it is because i went to uh christian camp one uh, one winter. It was lovely. It was beautiful, it was snowing. And they took the girls in one uh, room and the boys in the other and they told all of the girls and the girl, the woman who was the camp counselor talked about how she had had sex before marriage and how much she regretted it and it was awful and don't do it and she just, she didn't save herself for her husband. It was this whole thing and I'm sitting there and I had only been sexual for maybe a year or two at that point and I was just like, And I I wasn't buying into it, but at the same time, I was dealing with my own stuff. But it just felt awful. And then when I met up with my boyfriend, who'd been with the boys, they told all the boys, don't masturbate, guys. Just do not masturbate.
1: And that's because you have a church who's afraid of pleasure, all right, and uh, afraid of the body. And so you try to scare people about that. But there is no biblical basis for that whatsoever, all right. Um, the Bible verse that they trot out is misapplied and misinterpreted. And they're just obviously not reading their Bible because the the word that gets put in there is onanism, which uh, comes from the story of onan, O-N-A-N, in the Hebrew scriptures. And the rule, the religious law of the day was if your husband with uh, your brother dies without leaving any children, then it was your responsibility as his brother to impregnate his wife. Now, that's a religious law that we don't talk about. Now do we? It's called the Leverite marriage. But anyway, so Wait,
0: all in- does does anyone? Because I mean, obviously, if you're taking the, I mean, if you're in a section of Christianity where you take the Bible literally, that seems like a thing that like you'd kind of want to be part of. I mean, I'm not. I mean, that seems like important to follow that rule. You know, right? Well, yes,
1: absolutely. If you're going to try to follow Hebrew scriptures, yes. Um, But but people who are rule keepers um, and legalists tend to be very selective in which rules they condemn and which ones they say, well, that's just culture, and which ones they lift up. So that one, they conveniently say, well, that's Jewish culture and doesn't apply today. What they really mean is that's not the way we do it in the United States culture. but It has nothing to do with Christianity and
0: so forth. So uh, where were we? Well, I guess it's, so is it okay to masturbate? I mean, if if the, if Onanism is, it's, wait, 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 no, it's the spilling of the seed thing. Like what's the heart of the thing? Okay. Okay. So what happened with Onan? So what he did. (laughs) Pardon the interruption, Dalek. But before we get to what Onan did, uh, I'd like to talk to you about adamandeve.com. Yes. The holidays are here. Um, Yes, of course, Adam and Eve does not sell Sex Nerd Sandra t-shirts. Uh, those you can get at sexnerdsandra.merchtable.com. But I don't sell sex toys and other naughty things. That is what Adam and Eve is for. So go to adamandeve.com, type in sexnerd at promo code, and you get 50% off almost anything in the store. You get free shipping, three free DVDs, and a secret gift. You guys, seriously... Treat yourself to something, buy your sweetie something, Um, maybe, no, don't buy your cat something. I don't know what you crazy kids want to play with. They could be anything. The world is your oyster. So go to adamandeve.com, play with your oyster, type in promo code sexnerd when you check out and you'll get 50% off almost any item, free shipping, three free DVDs and a secret gift. Hmm. Okay.
1: Back to you, Onan,
0: you naughty monkey.
1: And so what he did, he didn't like the idea of giving his deceased brother children. And so uh, he started to do what he was supposed to do, mandated by religious law, and then he pulled out. And that's called coitus interruptus. That is not called masturbation by any stretch of of the imagination, okay? He spilled his seed on the ground in order to make sure that his deceased brother did not have any heirs, who, by the way, might take some of his own inheritance. So there was some other stuff going on there. That has nothing to do with whether or not your body is not the source of a lot of pleasure. It totally totally this is apples and oranges kind of thing here so if you have this thing that feeling pleasure is going to lead you into hedonism which i had, there's no research on that whatsoever by the way um, then of course you're not going to ever touch anything of your body that's going to make you feel good it also would also mean that you would not ever eat chocolate cake or chocolate mousse or you know wonderful those- don't take away the chocolate oh, well it's pleasurable you know and if you're a pleasure police person and uh, then you have to get rid of all kinds of pleasures. And there are those ascetics down through church history who have done just that, including beating themselves up and wearing all kinds of uh, very um, uncomfortable kinds of things to, to mortify the flesh, to, put, to, to rest the flesh. And that gets us into Paul. The Apostle Paul, there's in the Greco Roman world, there was kind of a bifurcation of um, the flesh versus the spirit. And that's, but that was cultural. That's the way they looked at things. And so the beginnings of the writing of the Apostle Paul and some of his letters, there is the beginnings of or the reflection of that thought that there's the spirit and there's the carnal
0: flesh. These are, these are very divided, these are totally divided. Right. And if you want to be good, you don't do the fleshy stuff. And if you're in the fleshy stuff, you're being you're being bad.
1: On the other hand, if what we're to be is to be angels and not an- if we're to be angels, then OK, fine. But I'm not going to ever be angelic or perfect, nor am I ever going to try. So the verse that gets trotted out for that one is, be ye perfect, King James, be ye perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. That is a mistranslation in the English, okay? We do not have a comparable word, um, but what it means is shalom, be ye whole, Mm -hmm. be whole. And one author said, be ye uh, perfectly or be wholly authentic. Mm-hmm. as to who you are, as God is wholly authentic to who God is. Now, that's that's light years away from some kind of an angelic, perfect, I'm never going to have a bad thought in my life. No, of course you're going to have bad thoughts, and those are all forgiven. It's understood that you're human, you're not angelic. So, if being human is good in the Garden of Eden, being human is good outside the Garden of Eden as well. And that includes, then, all this wonderful pleasure that we take in through our senses and through the senses of other people's bodies as well.
0: Yeah, I really liked... uh, it, it. it's lovely to hear pleasure talked about in such lovely terms like you use beautiful language it doesn't sound dirty it just sounds lovely like um what did you say the other day it was uh why is enjoying or looking upon the beautiful beautiful bodies that god had created like why is that a problem? Yes, because well,
1: aren't we works of art? I mean, the Bible says we're wondrously made. Wondrously made. Oh, goodness, yes. And in fact, I uh, I know of a nudist friend who, who learned, the lesson that he learned by being a nudist was that all bodies are beautiful. All bodies are beautiful. And we should be celebrating that. We come in all kinds of shapes and sizes and colors, and that's okay. Yeah, it's all right. Yeah.
0: It's super all right. Um... Okay. Two more questions. Totally. Um, okay. Probably, okay. Fancy. Yes. All these great ways of interpreting um, biblical teachings in a pleasure inclusive light. Homosexuality. Totes not allowed according to the Bible, from what I've heard on CNN, etc., And you're shaking your head. No, you even rolled your eyes a little bit. Tell me everything. Oh, they don't know what they're talking
1: about. The Bible does not say anything about homosexual orientation, which is how we understand it today. So it was the Bible is very procreative centered. So it is about let's make babies for the Hebrew tribes. Okay. Um, and so we have to, take that into context in in terms of reading some of the leviticus passages but those rule keepers who are very anti-gay who want to quote bible verses in leviticus um are perfectly willing to disregard other verses that say you know very things that well yeah i can wear different kinds of fabric together and that's clearly forbidden okay uh we neither do we are you you saying the bible doesn't allow you to wear different uh fabrics all together right Right. And we're also supposed to stone people uh, who do things. I mean, it's just uh, it's a pretty draconian. <laughs> and and so we disregard that. But all this one, I happen to not like gays, So I'm going to pull that one out and I'm going to say, oh, yeah, that's the word of God. So. Um, in the Christian scriptures, homosexuality is rarely mentioned. Uh, Jesus is much more concerned about the the widows and the orphans, or certainly the early church was uh, more concerned about healing and touching people, um, releasing them from their demons. I mean, there was, um, that's the focus of the Gospels, not gay or homosexuality. The few places that it is written, um, I might say that um, in the... When we only had the King James in English, that was the only version that the word homosexual was not uh, found there. It was translated correctly uh, as effeminate in, in this one place I'm, I'm talking about, effeminate. And that's and what and current scholarship is really not at all clear what that means or how that gets into the list of codes of things that are bad. Uh, which are never prescriptive don't don't murder don't do this no do this it's about the the point of making those lists is so that you get
0: to the grace get to the forgiveness okay so so um, we get to the the lists of things that are not allowed so that if you do them then you need to get to the other side and not be sinning anymore wait what um, the
1: apostle paul was uh, had these kinds of lists of various kinds of things that were bad like I'm a list maker too <laughs> well so was he but but he did that as a as a mechanism a writing mechanism so he he pulls all of these things in together and then he says and really we're all sinners, and you know we're all saved by grace um and uh, and God is good, and we are all co-creators, if you will, um, and brothers with Jesus. So, or sisters with Jesus. So, the, the message was not, um, according to Apostle Paul, was not, thou shalt not have gay friends, or, or <laughs> gay lovers, or lesbian lovers, or bisexual. That, that was not the focus. The focus was, here's our human condition. And and include with that the whole piece around effeminacy was a piece of it, but we're not really sure now, scholars are not, what that really is about. Um, But the point is that we're really about righteous living. And, you know, we're never, none of us are righteous, Paul says. So, hey, we have to rest in the fact that God says we're okay anyway. We are all forgiven. It's all right. So. Um, but but my faith rest uh, is always in dialogue with the sciences, and so uh, and and the intellect. And in the, I'm in a postmodern world. For Pete's sake, of course I'm going to take the insights of what we know about the world around us and have that in dialogue with my Bible, dialogue with my faith. So when I have friends of mine who said, you know, I knew when I was five years old that I was different because this was a a male friend of mine. My first boyfriend was Batman. And so then I look at the people who want to condemn a five-year-old child who already knows he's different because he loves Batman. And I say, what kind of God would condemn a five-year-old? Come on, what kind of God have you got if you're all about bashing people for being who they are? I'll tell you what kind of God you have. You have a very judgmental God who's all into condemnation. There's no love there. There's no compassion, and there's certainly no acceptance for the very creation that the Creator made. So I don't want any part of that kind of God. It's not mine. And I don't think it was Jesus either. Otherwise, he would not be known as a pleasure-seeking, life-abundant kind of teacher.
0: I like how passionate you are. You're like putting your finger and you're like swinging around and you just do this very effective eye contact. I'm, I'm on board. Um, so of course, uh, belief systems and someone's spirituality is so deeply personal for each person, just like sexuality, just like so many things if per person. And so I, I imagine that anyone who's especially embedded in community, um, around their religious faith, um, wants to be a good Christian, if that's their religion, you know, or, and let's say that person is listening to this podcast. And so if this is an opposition from what their community believes is what the Bible's teaching, like, how can someone remain to be a good Christian and integrate this? I mean, cause it's, what can someone do to help integrate this into what they've already been taught in a way? So it doesn't feel like things are in opposition, or is there a way?
1: Mm. Um, I think the we need to meditate on the Creator saying it's all very good. It's all very good. And meditate on the verse that Jesus said, I come to give life in its abundance. So if you're letting thoughts come into your head that are defeating you, um, if you're letting um, things happen inside you that make you feel less of a person or make you feel down, I'm telling you, that's not the voice of God. Um, God does not ever point fingers and yell at us. That's not the way the divine works, uh, in, in my Christian understanding that God always, uh, points a a beckoning finger and says, come this way, come this way. Come on. I know what's best for you. And it has to do with joy and it has to do with peace in yourself. And you know what? It has to do with how you treat yourself and your neighbor. So Jesus said, love yourself and your neighbor and you will love your God. Now, that's my interpretation. I flipped around the verse. But um, so follow follow where the love and the grace is. So I said yesterday in the workshop that I've said to many uh, gay friends that again, lesbian friends that if if you are hearing only abomination, you're an abomination, then I'm telling you, that's not the church for you walk away or run away, because where we find grace, where we feel we are whole people and we're loved for just as we are, that's God, that's sacred space, and that is a sacred community. So a friend of mine says, God is not employed by the church. Mm -hmm. All right. So um, so there are sacred places and sacred communities. And certainly in the sexual alternative communities, there's a lot of grace and acceptance and a lot of good, good ethics being practiced there. So wherever you find that, claim that as sacred because it is sacred. And then my suspicion is that when we embrace. Um, our goodness, the, the divine within us, then that overflows into our relationships. So I will be looking at poor people differently because I have this understanding of love myself. And it'll affect my, our public policy and it'll affect, you know, it's a ripple effect. Um, so, But the important thing is to, to start with uh, how much do I love myself and how is that overflowing into my sexual relationships and my intimate relationships.
0: Ugh, well, how much do I love myself? There's something I'm always trying to work on. Uh, it's amazing how many of us have a hard time with just that. Um, Reverend Beverly Dale. That's a great name. Um, where can everyone find you? Like, What are you? I mean, are you at university? Are you around? Are you, are you teaching anymore? What's going on? Right now, I am doing some circuits uh, for
1: some sexual alternative communities. But I'm in Philadelphia and I'm finishing up my book. I'm starting a nonprofit um, that will teach uh, Christian religious leaders about sexuality and teach sexual educators about Christianity in a sex positive way. And so the nonprofit would be called or is called um, the Incarnation Institute. For sex and faith, and we're just now getting that off the ground, uh, but, but the idea is to clone many Rev Bevs throughout the country Mm -hmm. to put out there this gospel that I think is more consistent with the New Testament and the life of Jesus, and it's sex positive, it's body positive. So, um, that's where I was at the University of Pennsylvania. I was an ecumenical campus minister there for 21 years, and I focused a lot at that time on the hookup culture and the objectification that was happening as well as the double standard, and saying, you know, folks, we can do better than that. We can do a lot better than that. Um, So, that I'm kind of on my own as a consultant for a body justice and um, sexual freedom and so I invite any kinds of religious groups or, or sexually aware but religiously disappointed <laughs> groups to um, ask me to come speak to them and I can do workshops and that kind of um, education uh, I've got a one woman show that I have um, not taken on the road too much I've done a little bit of it but I can dig some of those characters out and do workshops as well I'm a performer and singer so i try to make it interesting for people to hear some good news
0: oh yeah i mean i quite enjoyed you in person It's so animated and full of energy so uh i was so lucky um yeah definitely guys i I found you guys a good one i found you i found you guys a really good one um okay she didn't hear that really truly um, so, do you have a Twitter account,
1: website, all those things? I'm not good on Twitter. I'm at Facebook, but I've also got um, a website, and it's just beverlydale.org. It's very easy. It's my name.
0: Oh, cool! Can people
1: can people email you there? They certainly can. They they can contact me that way, and I have an electronic newsletter, so they can sign up for that. It's not not regular; it's occasional.
0: Mm-hmm. For the teachings that you've done with Christian groups, have they? How, I mean, have, have they thrown, like, tomatoes at you? Have they, like, hugged you? Like, what has happened? Like, I mean, it's just a little short thing. But, like, I mean, how have they taken to you?
1: Um, well, those who are Christian-identified and sexually curious are not the people who come to me first. They're out there, and they do some. Um, but the people who are sexually aware and religiously disappointed are the ones who come to me. Um, I think your question is, are those pleasure police tracking me down in the name of Jesus and condemning me? And the answer to that at this point is no, um, because they're a little bit afraid of what I have to say. So the message is going out to whoever has ears to hear. Let them open them and hear in a new way. And I hope it brings some healing to whoever.
0: Oh, my God. How emotional. That was beautiful. Okay. Uh, Thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, And as we say around here, a go team fun. Well, thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here. P.S. guys.
1: FYI. Take it away. (laughs) (laughs) All the stories of Jesus are found in only four books of the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, John, just a forewarning, was written as one, one of the later books, which means that you're going to get a lot of some of the implicit assumptions and some of the stuff that was happening at the time, a lot of theology. So if you really want to get as close to the Bible stories, you read Matthew, Mark and Luke and start with Mark because it's the shortest. And it's the one <laughs> it's the one that Matthew and Luke actually built their their letters on. So that's that's where you find the stories of Jesus who went to parties and had a good time. Mm-hmm.
0: Ah uh, context okay thank you now leaving nerdist.com